0: Please uh, turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would please, to the book of Acts and chapter eight, Acts chapter eight. Last week, we kicked off a sermon series entitled Unstoppable, Unstoppable, and there really is no better place to be in the Bible, in my opinion, talking about Unstoppable than the book of Acts. If you read through the 28 chapters within the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, you will see just how unstoppable God's word is, the church is, the gospel is, the people of God are when the Holy Spirit is moving through them and doing great things through ordinary people like you and like me. And today we're going to look at Acts chapter 28 in an account beginning in verse 26. So if you would please turn there and stand to your feet at this time in honor of the reading of God's word and follow along silently as I read aloud Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 26. This is what the word of God says to us today. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the South to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Father in heaven, we ask you to please do what only you can do. Lord, that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word this day, that we might be changed. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts to be more conformed to the image of your son. Father, we pray that you would even today, even as a result of the word that is preached, would you draw men and women, young and old unto yourself, and add to your kingdom this day. Lord, we pray that you would save souls, and for those of us who know you and love you, would you spur us on, Lord, toward love and good deeds for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sarah and I uh, have four children, Uh, the oldest of which is almost 13, and his name is Justin. We have always made it a practice of ours to never, and I would encourage you to do this as well, um, to never tell our kids, we'll tell you when you're older. So when kids ask a question we always believe that there's an age-appropriate response that we can give them, which makes it hard on us, and we have to sometimes think on our feet. But we don't ever want to say, we'll tell you when you're older, because if you were anything like me when you were growing up, we'll tell you when you were older really just meant go ask someone else. And I don't know who they're going to ask, and I didn't have Google when I was growing up. So we'll tell you when we're older. I don't want my kids going, okay, Google, and then you know asking the World Wide Web a question that I think I Can answer them. So we try our best and I can't think of a single time, honestly, that we have ever said we'll tell you when we're older, when you're older, because we've always wanted to give them an age appropriate response. I want first dibs on my kid's worldview. Does that make sense? I want first dibs. If it changes, I hope it doesn't, but I want first dibs. So I want to give them the answer to their questions. Even when four and a half or five years ago, my oldest son asked me, hey dad, What's a eunuch? Right? So I will never, f- I think everyone to some degree has a photographic memory. Now, I would not say I have a photographic memory, but to some degree, sometimes your brain, your body just takes a picture. Do you know what I mean? Just like you just remember where you were exactly when something happened, either something big in the world, in the news, or something that was just laid on your heart. And I remember exactly where I was when I heard the voice of my son from the back seat of my Camry as I was driving west on Rogers Lane in Burlington, and I heard, hey, Daddy, what's a eunuch? Shh, shh, I not I know exactly where we were. Never gonna tell my kid. I'll tell you when you're older. So I said, well, and now I'm in the car, and Justin's in the middle seat. He loves middle, and Jonathan is in the back seat on the right-hand side. And I s- said, well, a eunuch... And I proceeded to explain, and uh, in a little more detail, than I'll explain today from the pulpit. But I explained to him what a eunuch was, and basically just said, okay, well, uh, a eunuch is, there's people who would do different things that they believed were wise and good, and certain cultures had different practices. And some people did things because they believed they were pleasing to God. And even though they weren't, people would even go, and then I'd say, you know what? I'm going to go the unstoppable, right? I'm going to go the distance. I said, just so you realize, this is how, and I'm thinking, this is how, kind of messed up the world's thinking can be, sometimes people would even, and I explained to him what a, a, a eunuch was, and I said, and, and we have good news, though, that we don't have to do those things to our bodies and to ourselves in order to please God, because God sent his son, made a beeline for the cross, God sent his son into the world so that we could believe in him and have eternal life, and that's all that we need to do in order to be, have a right standing with God. Now, I'm ready to close in prayer and take up an offering, personally. I think I, I, think I did pretty well. Look in the rearview mirror, and Justin's face looks like this. (laughs) Jonathan's face is similar, just like this. (laughs) Justin leans forward to get closer to my ear, and he goes... unit. What's a unit? (laughs) As if to say, I don't know what it is, but it ain't that. I don't know what it is. He's like, a a unit. And I was like, oh, that's like a chapter. It's not a... He said mom said that we're going to start a unit study. What's what's a unit? So I said that's like a it's like a chapter, it's a section of a book. It's that's all it is. And Justin said, "Oh." And jo- Jonathan said, "Daddy, that was terrible." <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I I thought the kid said eunuch. Unstoppable. So, like I said, we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled Unstoppable. And in my opinion, there's no better book to be be in than this particular book. And even though Justin's question had to do or didn't have to do, I thought it had to do with what is a eunuch. I thought he learned about it in Sunday school. I figured it's a valid question. The Sunday school teacher probably punted. I'm his dad. I can answer this. Anyway, we don't have to keep going. Anyway, today we're looking at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But we're actually not looking as much to the eunuch and the Ethiopian as we are looking to Philip. Unstoppable isn't some overly dramatic uh, example of hyperbole uh, that we're throwing around for this series to just, like, pump you up, psych you up, and get you, like, to lean into the hype. This isn't an int- infomercial, right? I'm not the wow guy. I want you to see... That we really are, as the people of God, unstoppable when it comes to advancing the kingdom. This is the God's honest truth. We are unstoppable. And as funny as the story is about Justin asking me what I thought was a question about a eunuch, that's really not our focus today. We're going to be looking more at Philip's role in the story and another example of boldness for Christ. And boldness that was made possible, I hope you see that in the text, by none other than God Himself. Hopefully, you notice that on two occasions in the text that we just read, God intervened directly to make Philip aware of what we'll refer to today as a divine appointment for him to minister the gospel. If you look at verse 26 in Acts chapter 8, you'll see that it's the angel of the Lord that tells Philip to hit the road in the first place. Three verses later in Acts 8 and verse 29, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go near the chariot. And what I hope to do today in the time that we have is talk about this text as to how it relates to you and to me. Some people look at the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and they'd agree that there's certainly an element of unstoppable in there, but then they say, yeah, but that was then, or yeah, but that was Philip, or yeah, but that was the Apostles. And I would look to you today and say this, I don't think Philip did anything in this account that you and I couldn't have done today. Furthermore, I don't think there's anything that happened to this account that couldn't happen to a believer today. Now, you could look at other accounts throughout Acts and the New Testament and certainly the Old Testament and see people doing various signs and wonders, raising the dead, healing the lame, the casting out of spirits. In fact, just a couple of verses before this, we're told that this happened during the evangelization of the Samaritans. And you might say, I can't even kick my own allergies, let alone heal a guy. That's just not my thing. I don't raise the dead. I don't heal the lame. I don't have that gift. And very well, you probably don't. So when you say yeah, but that was then, or yeah, but he was an apostle, I look to you and say, so what? I hope to show you in the time that we have today that there's nothing that happens in this portion of Scripture. Acts 28, excuse me, Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. There's nothing that happens in this portion of Scripture that doesn't happen in the exact same way today. And there's absolutely, positively no reason for you to think for a single second that you couldn't be used by God in the exact same way. And that's what I want you to see from the word of God today. So let's back up a little. We haven't spent time in the book of Acts. What we did last week in Acts chapter 4 when Pastor Brad preached the opening message. But we haven't spent time in this portion of the book of Acts. So let's go to Acts chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. And do a little bit of background work to bring us up to verse 26 which is where we are today. So if you look at Acts chapter 8, it comes right after Acts chapter 7. Imagine that. And at the end of Acts 7 is the stoning of Stephen, the first recorded martyrdom that we have in the word of God for somebody dying for their faith. And Acts 8 and verse 1 says Saul approved of his execution. And Saul would have been the one who turns to Paul later on. Saul gets converted just one chapter later in Acts chapter 9. But Acts 8 starts right after the account of the stoning of Stephen. And persecution was really ramping up, but not by the pagans as much as it was the Jews. They were first century terrorists, striking fear and terror, pain and suffering, and even death to people. All while believing they, what they were doing was pleasing to God. In fact, it's very similar to the Islamic terrorism that we see today. Pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching Suffice it to say, God is doing great things among the Samaritans. I mean, you can see this is a work of God. Philip went and God was blessing it. They were listening to Philip. They saw signs that he did and that served to authenticate him as a man of God. If you skip down to verse 14, we see that the Samaritans had received the word, evidenced by the fact that Peter and John wanting to to come along and, and along with Philip ride the waves that God was apparently making in and among the Samaritans. But if you skip down to verse 25... You read this. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Things were going well. God was working. Philip's ministry was being blessed. And then we get to our text today, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Out of the blue, right? Out of the clear blue, an angel says to Philip to leave and go down a road that would lead him away from the people that were responding so well to the gospel, away from the people who were coming to the Lord, away from the place where his ministry was bearing fruit into no man's land. God's word comes to Philip and what's his response? He obeys. He rose and went. Philip immediately obeyed. Verse 27 says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So we look down, and you see that as he goes down the road, he comes across this situation where he's just walking down this desert road, being obedient to the Lord, probably wondering what in the world is going on, just because he's a human being, and I would wonder that. Hopefully you would wonder that. But he just, well, I just... I mean, I I was told to go down this road, so I'm going to go down this road. And he comes across uh, this person who's described to us uh, in verse 27 as an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, you need to know that in this day and age, uh, Ethiopia was like the far ends of the earth to people who are living in this region, in this culture at this time. So this was somebody who was from way out in Ethiopia, right? It wasn't just, oh, someone from another country. You have to remember how difficult it was to travel, and the world wasn't as closely connected as it is now. So this was Philip coming across an Ethiopian was someone from way, way, way far away to the uttermost parts of the earth, okay? There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, Okay, a eunuch. So this is somebody, there's a slight chance that this wasn't a real eunuch and that this was just a colloquialism. But in all likelihood, this was this person had gone the distance. This probably was a real, legitimate eunuch who had uh, castrated themselves, quite frankly, in order to serve in a way uh, in the kingdom that they were serving in, which was in Ethiopia. So evidence points to the fact that this probably was a real eunuch an Ethiopian somebody from far away a eunuch who wouldn't have been allowed to uh worship in the temple so this is someone that Philip would not have had the uh reason to or want to to go up to this person because this person would have been rendered unclean so this person would have been somebody that Philip would not have ordinarily been drawn to because it's just his background is we steer clear of those people an Ethiopian a eunuch uh a court official of Candace, now Candace is actually not a person, Candace is a proper name like Pharaoh or Caesar, so Candace wasn't a, a girl, Candace was a title for the queen of, uh, of the Ethiopians. So this was a court official of a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. So let's try to picture it in our day and age. This wasn't some you know, Ethiopian on the side of the road who was just sitting there in the, in the dirt. Reading the scriptures. Like that's not what we're looking at. This is like saying that you were walking down the road and uh, you saw someone who was a government official sitting in a a blacked out escalade uh, with their entourage around them, uh, reading something on their phone and the spirit tells you to go up to that escalade. Does does that make sense? That's what I want you to understand. This is not just the spirit coming up to Philip and saying, go near that guy. And Philip's like, all right. There There was an intimidation factor here. Philip would not have just said, Oh, yeah, sure, I can go. It's not a big deal. It's like a government official from a foreign land. It's someone that I shouldn't be associating myself with at all. And I feel like I need to go there. Do I do this? Is this the Lord? Is this the Spirit says, Go to that chariot. Go to that chariot. So we pick it up in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip what? Philip ran, verse 30, to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked a pretty bold question to somebody who was in a position of authority. Do you even get what you're reading? No, hi, I'm Philip. No, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Do Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, How how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So it would have been common practice back then for people to read aloud. If you notice that, it says he heard him reading. He wasn't obviously reading to himself. He would have been reading aloud. So he heard him reading and he said, do you understand what you're reading? How, How can I unless someone explains it to me? And if you look at the end of verse 31, he invited Philip to come up and sip with him. Come on up. Pops open the door to the escalade. Come on in. Help me understand. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, who's he talking about? I'm reading this scripture. I can't tell. Valid question, right? If you had no familiarity with the scriptures, is, is the The guy talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip is like, oh, man. I mean, this was just lobbed over the plate. And Philip just takes advantage of the opportunity and preaches Jesus to him. And says, oh, let me tell you who he's talking about. And gives him the good news of the gospel to which the Ethiopian responds positively. uh, evidenced by the fact that they were going along the road. I guess they started moving or walking or whatever. Verse 36. They were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, here's water. What what prevents me from being baptized? Now, just a little side note. Raise your hand if your copy of the Scriptures has a verse 37. Okay? So depending on your copy of the Scriptures, some of you have a verse 37, and some of you don't. Now, it's not time for a book burning Older manuscripts didn't contain verse 37. So the original manuscripts didn't have verse 37. Later manuscripts, for some reason, verse 37 was put in there. So that doesn't mean we don't trust our Bibles, because you hopefully you realize if you have verse 37 in there, or you don't have verse 37 in there, it really doesn't affect the story. So verse 37 says that Philip said... Uh, I, that the, excuse me, Philip answered him and he basically said, yeah, if you believe you can be baptized and the eunuch said, well, I believe, so I want to be baptized. And then verse 38 says, so he was baptized. So verse 37, some of you have Philip, you know, filling out a decision card and others of you don't, but it doesn't really matter because it doesn't affect the story as a whole. Does that make sense? So whenever we see those variances in the scriptures, that's not, that's not reason for us to doubt the scriptures. It's just reason for us to think, okay, if that verse was in there, would what happened still be, watch this, scriptural right scriptural so would it alter the story would it not fit within the grand scheme of scripture and the answer is no it would be a, a minor detail so some people say that philip answered some people don't we just move on to verse 38 so that's why if you're paying attention and keeping score you realize that if you're reading from an esv uh or a probably a new american standard it probably goes from 36 to 38 but if you're reading from a new king james or a king james there's a 37 in there anyway back to the text So 36, Philip says, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. Great illustration for baptism by immersion. They go into the water. He baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Philip didn't know what happened to the eunuch. The eunuch didn't know what happened to Philip. So Philip was carried away. This is the last you'll ever hear of Philip in the New Testament. The eunuch saw him no more, the end of verse 39, but he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip finds himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel to all the towns till he came to Caesarea. Now, extra-biblical evidence would say that this Ethiopian actually went back to Ethiopia and started a church-planting movement. And that he was used to spread the gospel in his homeland. So that's not in the scriptures. But if you take extra biblical historical accounts of what happened in the country of Ethiopia at the time. And you match them up with the timeline. We have a lot of reason to believe that this man wasn't just saved and went away rejoicing. And that was the last thing he did for the kingdom of God. But that God used him and his position of influence to go and start a church planting movement in the country of ethiopia and we see that through some of the church fathers it's either irenaeus or eusebius i'm not i'm not sure but some of the early church writings so it's a really really cool story now the first point i want to make is in response to people who read this and say god doesn't do this anymore He he used to do this before the scriptures were complete, but now that we have the completed scriptures, now that the canon is closed, God doesn't do these things anymore. So the canon of scripture is closed, but you have to realize that doesn't mean that God's mouth is. The Holy Spirit is still alive and well and still at work today in our daily lives. So what I want to say very clearly is that it's of utmost importance that we maintain a high, high View of Scripture. See, we don't need to wonder where God stands on an issue. He's given us His word to make us complete. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. And I think I've said it before, I'll say it again. That Greek word that we've translated complete, or depending on your Bible, uh, might be adequate or perfect. That word is only ever used there in the New Testament. That says a lot about the word of God, right? Th- that, that word is not used to describe the Lord himself. That word is not used to describe the Holy Spirit. That word is used to describe the word of God. That the man of God may be ready for whatever life brings him. Second Peter 1, 3 says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not most things, not almost all things, but what? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The New Testament writings that you hold in your lap or see on your phone contain the final authoritative and sufficient interpretation of Christ's work of redemption. When the writers of scripture finish their writing... There is no more to be added with the same, listen, with the same absolute divine authority. We have in written form the final record, this is what Grudem says, we have in written form the final record of everything that God wants us to know about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and its meaning for the lives of believers for all time. The canon is now closed. I want to be very clear on that. The canon is now closed. Nobody should be adding to the writing of scriptures, and nobody should ever, ever, ever claim to speak with the same authority of the word of God if they are not preaching from the word of God. But you need to realize that nothing will make you more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading than regular, consistent times in God's word. But when we think like God thinks, we will do what God does. When we think like God thinks, we'll do what God does does proverbs 3 and verse 5 says trust in the lord with your with all your heart do not lean on what your own understanding right that's a powerful 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 bible verse a powerful verse that we usually uh, speak a lot about in children's ministry if you grew up in the church you probably sang a song or did some little ditty or rhyme or whatever having to do with proverbs 3 5 and 6 i i know several that come to my mind right now Don't render that to just when you were younger, right? Don't leave that. Oh, that's back then. That's a powerful verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Well, then what understanding should I lean on? We should lean on God's understanding. That's why the next verse, Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Okay, when we speak to God in prayer, he promises to work behind the scenes to make our paths straight, to direct us in what we do. And we see that happening with Philip here. When Philip went up to the Ethiopian, he knew where he was reading. How did he know where he was reading? He was familiar with the word of God. That's why Philip went up. The spirit told Philip to go near the chariot. He didn't say, listen, go near the chariot. Now listen to what he's reading. He's reading Isaiah, so you've got to be ready for that. He just said, go near the chariot. Everything else that happens in there can happen with anyone who's familiar with the word of God. Because he recognized where he was reading from because he heard the word of God. He recognized it. And so we pause to say, what about you? Do you, do you spend time in God's word on a consistent basis? Do you spend time in God's word on a consistent basis? What, what? You say, I don't know what consistent means. Okay, well, let me put it this way. What passage of scripture has God recently drawn to your attention? What passage of scripture has God recently drawn to your attention? What, what thing have you thought of in life and said, I remember reading that? Or do you read from the Bible and say, that applies to me? What, God, what, what portion of scripture has God recently brought to your attention? Attention, And do you have a working knowledge? I'm not asking if you have a degree. I'm not asking if you have a perfect knowledge. Just a, just a familiarity with the scriptures so that you might be used by God in a time like this. So that you might be used by God to give an answer for the faith that is within you with meekness and with fear. See, it's been my experience that God has always called to my mind a scripture that I already knew. Think about that. God always called to my mind a scripture verse that I had already read. I've never had a situation where God laid something on my mind and on my heart, and I just thought, wow, that was cool. And then later on, I'd be like, lo and behold, it's in the word of God. He's called to my mind something that I already read or that I already heard preached. So he uses what I, the scriptures that I've hidden within my heart to then equip me to serve other people. That's how God is going to use you if you're looking for these opportunities. He's going to call to mind, the Holy Spirit will call to mind scripture that you know. The Holy Spirit will call to mind an opportunity for you to minister the word of God. So the question is, are you making yourself as ready as possible? Are you, making, are you preparing yourself to be used by the Holy Spirit? Because something tells me, call me crazy, that the Holy Spirit knew that Philip was going to rock this opportunity, right? But the Holy Spirit didn't go Go over to this chariot. Man, I hope this works out. Oh, me. Uh, to me, he wouldn't say, oh, God. Oh, me. Like, he, he, he's he did not sending Philip, like, hoping this works. He knew this was going to work. He sent Philip because this was an opportunity for him to preach the gospel to the Ethiopian. Do you have a working knowledge of the Bible and biblical principles in order to share good news about Jesus as Philip did? So just because the canon is closed, that doesn't mean God has stopped tapping us on the shoulder or or guiding us or encouraging us or poking us or making us aware of opportunities to apply the all-sufficient Word of God in our lives. So don't let your high view of Scripture allow you to hit the mute button on the Holy Spirit. See, here's what I think. It's been my experience that all too often, well-meaning Christians allow their Bible knowledge to place what I'm going to call a gag order on God. And doing so cuts us off from one of our primary sources of evangelistic power, of ministry support, that in the moment wisdom and grace that can only come from God Himself. Because you can know the word of God, but you're not gonna know which escalate to walk up to. You could, Philip knew the word of God, but he would have never gotten on that road if the angel hadn't said, Go on this road. He would have stayed and said, This is where God wants me. I've been preaching, I'm seeing God use my preaching, I'm seeing God use ministry, I'm gonna stay. But the Spirit used an opportunity in Philip's life to reach somebody else. Look at Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said, rise, go toward the south. Acts 8, verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. There is nothing inconsistent with holding to a high view of Scripture, believing that the Scriptures are completely sufficient and that God makes us aware of opportunities we wouldn't otherwise be aware of to minister to others. Nothing at all. There's nothing inconsistent with that. That's not erring on one side. Oh, I don't know if we want to go there because then people are going to say that God told them to do all sorts of wacky things. I, I understand not wanting to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I hope that you'll understand. I also don't want to throw out like the institution of bathing altogether, right? Bathing is good. So let's not throw out everything altogether. Say, well, that, that just doesn't happen. Anyone who says that happens to them, they're, they're lying. They're crazy. They're this. I think that does happen. I would go so far to say you might want to wonder why it doesn't happen if it doesn't happen to you. That's not me saying you're not saved if it doesn't happen. That's not me. I'm, I'm just saying if people are being used by God in those ways, I wonder why. I wonder why the Lord wouldn't lay it on my heart to pray for this individual, to speak to this individual, to go up to that individual, to finally take the plunge and invite this person, to finally do this. Why isn't that happening? Well, it could be that in your own heart, you've hardened yourself to that. You've kind of hit the mute button on God and just thought, well, that's probably not God. It's probably just me. And if you're anything like me, I take me a lot less seriously than I do God. So if I just have this inclination to go and talk to somebody, think, "Ah, that could be me. It could be just that. Nah, I don't really know. Listen, God might be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, go. Hey, go to that chariot. Hey, do this. And I say, as Roman numeral three in your outline, God accomplishes more things more often through acts of obedience than our most extravagant plans. He accomplishes more through his people and for his glory and for our good through acts of obedience than even our most extravagant plans. Look at Philip's, Philip's response to the, 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 the angel telling him to go on the road. He rose and went. Verse 27. What's Philip's response to when the the Spirit said, go to that chariot? It said Philip ran over to the chariot. Like, he couldn't get there fast enough. But don't think that means he was running like, okay, this is going to be awesome. He was probably running saying, this is really weird. I don't know what I'm doing. But he ran over to the chariot because he was confident that God wanted him to do that. And you don't know how the Spirit told Philip that. We don't know. We we don't know what that means. Was it audible? I don't know. The little like, you know, the little hummingbird angel, like just appear here Go go to the chariot? I, I don't know. Was it just a, is it the same feeling that Philip had that I sometimes have? Like, I think I should go do this. Is it just a, is, is God, and Philip's reporting this to Luke, who then wrote this down in the word of God. And, Luke, and Philip said, the spirit told me to go to this guy. And Luke said, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know, but don't discount those opportunities that the Lord has for you and for me. See, God didn't place the weight of evangelizing the world on my shoulders and on your shoulders, but he calls people like you and like me to follow and obey him. So when God taps us on the shoulder to make us aware of something, we do well to obey. So two years ago, I was in LA for uh, an ACBC conference, and it was October of 2014. And uh, the conference had finished, and I had an early flight the next day so I returned my rental car and I actually stayed in a, I, I switched hotels just for the one night, stayed in a hotel really close to the airport and returned my rental car, got to the hotel, checked in, went upstairs, getting ready for bed, want to get in nice and early. Um, don't have my toothbrush. I don't roll well without, the, I'm not, uh, I'm going to wing it, uh-uh, not this guy, no. So I'm, I, I need to go get a toothbrush. So I go down to the lobby. I don't remember why, maybe God was just using this, I don't know, but I went down to the lobby and I asked, the concierge, if I could get a toothbrush, and they pointed to the gift shop, but the gift shop was closed, so maybe there was a lot. Surely, I mean, most front desks at hotels have little crummy toothbrush that last like half a brush, you know what I mean? And so surely they would have had one, but I don't know why I didn't go to the front desk. Maybe there was a line, but he said, but there's also a store. If you leave here, he said, go out the front, make a left, uh, go behind the hotel, walk down this street. He said, there's a parking garage. Just after the parking garage, there's a, there's a store. So all right, fine. So just quickly walk out, make my left, go back there, and I'm telling you, listen, shady, okay, all sorts of sketch, like, I'm just walking down the street, and it was just, you just like, yeah, this is just not, really, bad breath, this isn't worth it, like, I don't, this is just, it's dark, it's poor, it's, 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 there's all sorts of characters, just kind of, it's just, you know, just everything's like, "Mm, mm," like, this probably isn't worth it. And I realized this for some reason. It took me like halfway there to realize it. It wasn't a long walk. But I'm probably, I got one more block to go. It's probably two blocks away. And I get there and I'm like, this is, I can just go tomorrow. Let me be bad breath Seth over the night. I'll get up early. I'll go into LAX. I'll get to the newsstand. I'll buy a toothbrush. I'll brush my teeth in the airport. It's not the end of the world. Peter, stop. And I can't explain it to you. But it was nothing audible. There was no angel. There was no light from heaven. There was nothing. I just felt like I should go just felt like go, and I thought it was God, and I wasn't sure if it was God. It just felt like I should. I just felt like I should go. So here's my response. Okay, I'm not Philip, dude. Okay, so I I, I responded this way. I went, this is ridiculous, and I just I I just well, I remember thinking this is ridiculous. I'm going into. I mean, there's bars on the windows. I think I had to be buzzed in. Are you with me? Do you see? Can you picture it? See where I'm at? So I then go in there, and it's like a quickie mart with just more more liquor than anything and there's these little there's this one aisle of like sundries and i go and i buy i don't know like an eight dollar toothbrush or something yay la and i pick out this toothbrush and i'm aware that i'm in there for the toothbrush but i'm not forgetting the fact that okay for some reason i decided to complete this journey okay there are characters all throughout this place. Behind the counter, in front of the counter. Let's just say I'm the only one there in khaki shorts and Sperry's. I, I, there's, there's just characters all throughout there. And here I am with my little toothbrush. White guy from the Midwest. Just waiting in line. Okay, and I'm waiting in line to go and buy my toothbrush. And there's this guy behind the counter. And I'm at this point, I'm thinking, yeah, spirit or no spirit, you just, just get your toothbrush. The Lord wants you to have good breath. That's why he said go in there. Just get your toothbrush. The guy behind the counter goes, hey. So I said, what's up? And I'm like, oh, what do I do? Just like ask him about Jesus? Like I just want to buy my toothbrush. <laughs> there was nobody behind me. Um, he had several tattoos. I pointed to one. I don't remember what it was. Oh, and I said, nice ink. And he said, thanks. And he went on to explain it. And I said, cool, how's life? He said, eh, not bad. He explained to me that he worked there and that he also works another job because he's trying to make ends meet and he's living with his girlfriend somewhere else and blah, 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 blah. And I said, yeah, I know. That's, that, sound, that sounds really hard. And he said, yeah, it's hard. He goes, plus, it's not only the girlfriend, he goes, but there's a bun in the oven. And I said, oh, wow, congratulations. He went, <laughs> And I said, yeah. Well, and I, I, I looked at him. I remember I said this. I said, how'd that happen? And... <laughs> He was like, you know, man, you know. I was like, I know. I do know. (laughs) Don't answer that. Right. He said, yeah, I don't know. He said, she wants to get rid of it. He said, we did that once before. He said, it just didn't. He said, I got to be honest, man. I'm just looking back and. I don't feel good about it. Like it made all the sense in the world at the time. It really did. And I didn't even feel bad about it right then and there. But now with this other opportunity, it's like, I just don't, I don't feel good about it. What do you think? (laughs) (sighs) So I said, you know what, man? I said I'm a Christian, and I said I've never met someone who doesn't have things in their past that they deeply regret. Everyone. So I said I know that sounds really, really hard. I said, but I think I think what you're thinking through is is right. He said, I just feel it's not her. It's not my body. It's her body, and I just don't know. It's like I I understand that you're concerned about that. I said, but I would really encourage you to. Uh, to, to continue encouraging her to, to let the baby live and promise your support for her in doing that, that you're not just going to skedaddle if she does that. I said, but you know what? More importantly, I said, I, I said, do you have a Bible? He goes, yeah, I got a Bible. I was like, I would read the Word of God. And I said, a little scripture every day is better than no scripture at all. I said, I don't care if you read a verse. I said, I would just read the Word of God of God. I so say there's a lot of hope in there. I have found a lot of hope from reading the Word of God and in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. This is the cool thing about Jesus, and I presented the, a very, very brief, I might have spent more time talking about it now than I did then, very brief gospel presentation, and just said that, you know, Jesus takes away my regret, takes away my shame, and he died on the cross for me, that I don't have to live back then. I can move forward, and I can, I can trust in the lord for my life now and for life after this life you see i probably should do that so i took his number his name is dave and i said i'll pray for you i'll be praying for you about that he's like cool man yeah i hope you do i said i'll give you a call he's like yeah sure he gave me his number and then i left i went to my hotel room brushed my teeth and went to bed I've called him before. He's never answered. I don't know if he wrote down the wrong number or he just doesn't want to answer or whatever. I've left him a couple of messages. Did Philip know what the Ethiopian did after he shared with him? Did he? We have no reason to believe he did. Um, But the Ethiopian went and did great things. So I choose to believe that Dave... Fathered a nation and planted a church in L.A. I don't know what he did, but <laughs> the point is that's not, my, that's not my responsibility. There was something that just said, just go. Oh, fine, I'll go into this place where I'm going to lose. And, oh, while I'm, while I'm talking to this guy, so I'm stepping aside, the characters that came into this place to buy whatever they were going to buy <laughs> was always like, ah, ah. I'm talking to this guy about his life, and he's talking to me, and they go, oh, wow, there's this guy who comes by. Getch. God uses those, there was nothing, I can't, it was in the light from heaven led me to this place. There was nothing heavenly that would have led me to this place. But God uses people and uses opportunities like that. Here's my question, though. Are you obedient to the word of God? Because I'm convinced that if you don't obey when God writes, you probably won't obey when God speaks. So is there a, a, a certain command in Scripture or a certain something that you've been reading that you just kind of buck and you, you don't want to obey? Is, is there, uh, have you taken that to God in prayer and said, I know you say this, but I hate it. Or I know you say this, but I, I'm having trouble wanting to do it. I don't want to do it. Help me want to do it. Because we want to be found to be obedient people. I also want to say this. Don't miss out on now because you're waiting for wow. Does that make sense? Don't miss out on now because you're just looking for the wow, for the big lightning bolt from heaven, from the obvious time when the sky split open and all of a sudden there's an angelic chorus and there's an opportunity for you to go, believe, my friend, believe. Don't wait for wow so much so that you miss out on now. See, here's the thing. I don't want you to miss God's providence because you're looking for the big, for the miraculous. God is always at work. So I'm going to meddle just for like like a minute, if I could. I'm going to meddle just for a minute. Hear me out. Hear me out. I kind of sort of wish people would stop saying it was a what thing. It was a God thing. Now. I'm not saying you're a sinner for saying that. I'm not saying it's wrong for saying that. It's actually quite right to say it's a God thing. But here's the problem. Here's, here's my beef. When you say something's a God thing, it implies that there are other things in your life that are what? Not God thing. So it's like this one thing was a God thing. It was a really cool coincidence. It was really cool. But then what you, that's usually for something that was fairly obvious. This couldn't have happened without God. But if you don't start realizing that your whole life is a God thing, then you'll miss out on opportunity. You'll say, well, that's just a thing, but this was a God thing. I'm waiting for the God thing. And I know what's meant by that. I'm concerned for us saying this is a God thing and then assuming that other things are not. Does that, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? And the problem with that is you start to think about why you work where you do, and why you go to school where you do, and why you are home with the kids that you have, and why you serve on the teams that you do, and why you go to the small groups that you do. And you say, you shrug your shoulders and you say, well, I. Went to school and studied this and looked for a job and I got that job. Or, well, I came to Grace and met this person and went to a small group and now we're friends. Or, well, I was accepted into the school and they gave me money. Or, I was accepted to the school and it's close and I decided to do it and that's it. Or, I applied for a scholarship and I received it so that's where I am. And just because you explained it doesn't mean that God wasn't in it. Does that make sense? Just because you can explain it doesn't mean it's not a God thing. It most certainly is a God thing. And if you don't see it as a God thing, you're probably not looking for divine appointments because this is just a thing. Well, oh, this is just my job, so you know it's, but this wasn't some obvious. oh, this could never have happened without God. None of it could have happened without God. Don't miss God in the mundane. If you don't see it as a God thing, you're probably not looking for the divine appointments. Your desk is where it is, because that's how God has you serving. It's not primarily a way to bring home the bacon or get the bills paid. You're primarily there. Listen to me because of Jesus. Jesus, and God is using you to serve that team, that person, the person in the office next to you, the person in, the person in line with you at the cafeteria, the person in the cubicle, whatever, however you are. That's not just, well, that, why do you sit there? Because when I started, they told me to sit there. God is in that. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. So it only would have been a God thing if I got there and landed on clouds. No, it's a God thing. It's all a God thing. You're home with the kids because that's where God has you serving him. It's not just, well, you decided to be a stay-at-home mom and you used to work, but now you have these kids. You thought you'll take home, take time off for a season, and maybe you'll go back to work later. It's a God thing. God had you doing his thing in the workplace, perhaps. Now God has you doing his thing at home, and that's great. And then God may have you doing his thing elsewhere, but it's a God thing all throughout. Does that make sense? You're always where you need to be to be a light for Christ, to be that unstoppable person for the glory of God. It's all a God thing. And you say, well, it doesn't seem so extravagant. Listen, Philip walking down a desert road, not extravagant. Not extravagant. Philip seeing somebody in a chariot, not not extravagant. Me walking into the sketch store for a toothbrush, not extravagant. Really not extravagant. Don't look for wow so much that you miss out on now. Because there's ways for you to serve right Now, even in the seemingly mundane, God is always at work. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip goes up to the chariot, he just hears him reading the word of God. That's it. That's where the miraculous kind of stopped. He walked up and heard him reading the word of God, and boom, 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 and great things happened as a result. If you look back in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, when the people were scattered during the persecution, look at verse 4. Who preached the word? The apostles. No. Who preached the word? The trained. No. Who preached the word? The vocational vocational ministers. No. Who preached the word? Those were the degrees. No. It says those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Do you know who was scattered? Ordinary people like you and me were scattered as a result of the persecution, and they went about preaching the word. Don't be so careful to look for wow that you miss out on now. The word of God is unstoppable by way of the people of God who refuse to stop. So do you think about it? What about you? Do you live life with an awareness that your life is full of God things? That there's nothing in your life right now that is not a God thing. That there's no relationship you have with someone that was not a God thing. And you look for an opportunity to be a light. Lord, make me aware. If there's a time for me to talk, make me aware. Show me. Show me like you showed Philip. Because your life is full of God things. And lastly, this is a historical narrative. So you can tell history. History without telling it in narrative form. You can just bounce around and tell things that are historically accurate. Or you can tell a narrative, which means you're telling about events in sequence, but it may not be historically accurate. This is a historical narrative. That's what the book of Acts is. And with any historical narrative, I always, you've heard me say it before, I'll say it again, you need to find yourself in the story. You need to find yourself in the story. With whom do you identify in this account? Are you like the the Ethiopian? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you are here for the same reason that the Ethiopian originally went to Jerusalem. Maybe you're here because you're you're searching. Because God's doing it's a God thing. Because God's doing something in your heart, God's doing something in your mind and you realize you're looking for Something that this world can't offer. You're looking for something that money can offer. You're looking for something that people can offer. And you don't know what it is. And maybe you're that Ethiopian who's hearing the word of God today. And realize that God has something more for you than the things that you just think is, that is just part of your life. And that's the gospel. That God has something more for you than just the everyday life. But that God sent his son for sinners like you. And for sinners like me. That if we were to believe in him and believe that the death he died on the cross he did as a substitution, a substitutionary atonement for people like you and me, our sins can be washed away, our debts can be paid, and we can be given the gift of eternal life. You might be this Ethiopian. You might be the person seeking, and today, it's my prayer that you would harden not your hearts and that you would believe the gospel and come to faith in Christ. That might be you. We didn't talk a lot about the Ethiopian, but you might say, you know what? I've got more in common with this Ethiopian than I do with Philip because I don't know that I love Jesus. You can have that same hope today. You can leave here rejoicing. That's what the Ethiopian, you can leave here rejoicing because you know that your sins have been washed away. Because you know that the word of God is true and that he saves souls. And maybe you're like Philip one whom the holy spirit would use to reach others with the hope of the gospel maybe that's you maybe god would use you to do great and mighty things within the circles that you're already in within your home at your work with your neighbors if you think about the ethiopian this is the first gentile convert that we have recorded in uh, the book of acts He's converted to Christianity from what one would argue was a sexual minority, a different race, a different ethnicity, a different nationality altogether. Least likely person to just come running to the word of God, and God saves him. Who might God use you to convert? What relationship do you have with somebody that you can then be bold, that you could then be unstoppable, that you would see that as, oh, no, this is, this is a God thing. That, that crossing guard that I see, that, that, is, that is a God thing. That clerk that I interact with, that is a, that is a God thing. I'm going to look for opportunities and hope, that God, and hope that God gives them to me. One other thing that's not in your notes. Don't be afraid to mess up. You know what's not in the Word of God? <laughs> Maybe the time that Philip thought the Spirit sent him to do something and was like, Oh, that wasn't it. Okay, I'm going to move. I one time tried to share the gospel with a lady and asked her when she was due. She wasn't pregnant. Not the spirit. Like, right? That Not the spirit. So, but you know what? I always tell, hey, buddy, I always tell you if you strike out, how do I want you to strike out? Swinging. We're going to strike out swinging. We're going to go down swinging. We're going to try, okay, and we think, you know what? I wonder if this is something that God might have me do. Well, I want to be bold and I want to try. Let's give this a shot. And let's see what God does. But let's let's fail forward, right? Let's, let's, Let's take steps of faith and obedience, trusting that God's going to use some of them so that we might be a light to people who are in our lives. Father in heaven, we come before you thankful for this account, thankful to be able to look back upon this and see how you use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. How just someone at the side of the road just sitting there, you never we never know what you're doing in that person's heart. We never know what you're doing in the store clerk's heart, Lord. And I pray that you would make us aware that sometimes you're working in great and mighty ways long before we get there to hear the word of God. You're working in great and mighty ways long before we show up on the scene that you might do a great thing and all you want us to do is obey. Lord, obey, trust you and obey. And I pray, Lord, that we would look back upon the times that you have done mighty things in our life. Lord, that we would look back upon the times that we see in the word of God where you have done mighty things in the lives of people and we would use that as an encouragement and a motivation to us to, sh- to share your gospel, to reach other people and do it all for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.